Welcome to this week's episode of the Linguali podcast. Today I'm joined by Alexander Gansmeyer. Alexander is a freelance conference interpreter based in Munich. His areas of expertise include direct sales, automotive technology, works councils and supervisory board meetings, as well as smartphone and computer technology, software and IT. He is a board member of the German Association of Conference Interpreters, but perhaps most importantly, he is one third of the Troublesome Terps team, another podcast about all things to do with interpreting that you should definitely be listening to. Thanks for, for having the time today. For Not making a problem. the time, I should say. Thank you, thank you for agreeing to do this. So to start off with, an easy one. How did you become an interpreter? Um, that's a good question. I think I kind of just fell into the whole thing. Initially, I wanted to do something completely different. Um, I wanted to do American studies because I've always liked English and speaking English, American English in particular. And one day in high school, we had, you know, a career counselor come in and we could tell them what we were planning on doing. And at that point he said, well, if this is what you want to do, you might as well just be unemployed. And I thought, oh, that so appealing. So I kind of tried to figure out something else that I could do with uh, my love for the English language. And I just happened to stumble upon the uh, institute that I started studying at in Munich. And they had an open day. And I think I just kind of went there. And you could try out different things. You could do some tr some test translations. And you could also dabble in interpreting. So I did that. And I think at that point, I just immediately got the interpreting bug. And I just been bitten ever since and that's it. What types of interpreting services do you offer? I offer pretty much everything involving conference interpreting. So I do consecutive interpreting, I do simultaneous, I uh, organize conferences, so I do whole teams and also the equipment. I also do dialogue interpreting at trade fairs or for negotiations. The only thing that I don't do uh, is court interpreting and public service interpreting. So anything at hospitals, that just has never happened. And for courts um, in Germany, you need to be a sworn interpreter. So I've just, I just haven't done that. And it's not really my cup of tea, the whole legal system. So I'm not really sure I'm going to do that. But I'm very happy in my little conference bubble. <laughs> <laughs> what is the split of consecutive and simultaneous interpreting jobs for you? That's a good question. Um, simultaneous far outweighs consecutive. I can definitely say that. I think if I had to put it in numbers, maybe oh, 85, 90% simultaneous and then 10, 15% consec. Yeah, I think that's that feels right. This isn't an objective, <laughs> an objective measure, though, but it kind of feels like. Is that because um, the clients are asking? for more simultaneous interpreting. Yeah, absolutely. And even if they're not, even if they're asking for consecutive, I always just try to coax out of them what the actual circumstances are. And then oftentimes they think consecutive is something which it doesn't end up being. And then in, in many cases, they're actually better off with simultaneous. So I just try to you know guide them and, and counsel them in that way as well. What types of assignments do you usually do? They're quite varied, given that I'm freelancing, so I, I just kind of dabble in all kinds of different industries. I do a lot of management meetings. I do a lot of um, automotive jobs, IT, medical and pharmaceutical. And 
I also have kind of established a little niche for myself in, in motivational speaking okay. or, or in interpreting motivational speakers, I should say. So I do that quite regularly and I really enjoy it just because that is very different to, to other types. How do you prepare for these assignments? That's different depending on the client and depending on the job, but I think it's quite run-of-the-mill in that way that, you know, obviously if you get the uh, the presentations beforehand, you kind of work through those. Um, for a lot of the jobs, I already had similar jobs in the past, so then I kind of just rely on the, the, the glossaries that I've built up back then and expand upon them. And unfortunately, sometimes it also happens that you don't get any preparation material, and then I just try to uh, go online and Google the company as as well as possible beforehand. So I think I think that's relatively standard, though. So I don't think I do anything crazy for my preparation. Do you prepare um, with an iPad? No, I don't actually have an iPad. I don't have Apple products. <laughs> Sorry, a tablet. <laughs> um, uh, no, because I have, well, yes and no, I, I, I have a Microsoft Surface, so it's kind of like a two-in-one kind of thing, mm -hmm. but when I prepare, I mostly use it in the laptop mode, just because it's easier when you're working. I do my, my glossaries in Microsoft Excel, I should say, so it's quite old-fashioned, um, and it's just easier using the Surface in the in the the laptop mode when you're preparing in that way. I used to do some stuff in... Um, Google Sheets, especially when I'm, I still do that occasionally, depending on the colleague, if they want to, to collaborate in creating the glossary, then we use, then we usually use Google Sheets, and then it's, you can also do it from the phone. Sometimes I do that when I'm too lazy to, <laughs> to boot up the, uh, the laptop or the Surface, but I usually do that with just the regular computer. Mm -hmm. You did some teaching at the University of Central Lancashire. How was that, and what was involved with it? That was actually really great. Um, at first, I was a bit skeptical because they asked me if I could, you know, teach the MA interpreting and translation, where I actually did my master. So it's very specific for conference interpreting, even though it actually has translation in the title. But I taught simultaneous interpreting and consecutive interpreting and dialogue interpreting, so business interpreting. And um, it was very much an all-round approach. So, you know, the students could also come to me out of... Um, after class or before class, asking for for advice if, I don't know, they had some difficult negotiations. And it was just very fun, which I'm not sure I had expected that because I always had a very specific image of what a teacher should be like in my head. And then when I came to university, uh, the person who taught me, Kirsty, and, and all the other colleagues, they were so very different from what I had imagined a, a university teacher or lecturer to be like that... I was surprised that I kind of fit in there as well, and I, I was really surprised at how much fun it was, because it was quite you know, fun, yeah. English has been the lingua franca of business for some time now. Is it still necessary to use interpreters and translators to reach global audiences and international markets? That's a good question. I think absolutely, yeah. It's, it's vital to use interpreters and translators, just because with everybody speaking English, it kind of turns it into globish, so everybody speaks enough English to communicate on some fundamental basic level, but as soon as you get into the nitty-gritty, into the details, things get lost, and I forgot who told me, I was talking to a colleague um, not too long ago, and they were saying, 
when somebody knows they don't understand something, they go out and find a solution. But when somebody thinks they understand, they just kind of lean back and relax and feel like they have everything covered when they're really missing half of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of a big risk of, of the whole global movement. I don't know if you can call it a movement, but um, that's why I think it's, it's even more important that you use interpreters and translators to make sure that actually saying what you want to say and not just what you can say. You are a member of a number of associations. Why do you think it's important to get involved with these types of groups? I think it's very important, especially if you're a freelancer, that you are involved in professional associations because oftentimes we're kind of a lone wolf out there fending for ourselves and trying to get the clients. And, you know, it's, it's quite stressful sometimes as well, depending on the client. And I think the professional association gives us what you usually have when you have a normal nine-to-five office job, which is kind of like a a work community in a way. So I quite like being involved because actually doing some work for the organization, usually uh, you make more contacts more quickly. And I, I really like doing things very quickly, as many people who know me will tell you. And I think generally the appeal of these, uh, these associations is that you know, they offer so much. They offer different kinds of workshops. They offer different forums. They offer sometimes legal advice. And you can have really great discussions with different colleagues. And you can use that for networking. And I think it's just nice to not be so alone all the time, you know, because there are people out there who have experienced the same, um, the same stuff that you have. So if you have an issue and you really don't know what to do with it, maybe somebody else has already had that same issue and could tell you how to solve it. So you wouldn't really figure that out any other way except for if you were in that professional association. So I think, yeah, to quote Hillary Clinton, uh, I think we're stronger together. So I, think, I think that's just a good way of putting it. How do you find being a freelancer? I absolutely love it. I couldn't imagine doing my job any other way. I do have some colleagues who are are employed in various organizations, and I'm sure that has its, its own charms, but I like the independence. I like being able to kind of go with my own workflow, um, because I, I, I just said I like to do things very quickly, and I'm sure that not everybody has the same work approach. So in my admin, in my whole business management side of things, I can just do how I want it. I'm doing it and I can also negotiate with the clients in my style so I like it it's, sometimes it's a little stressful but I guess every job is and I have to say when I started out I was kind of running my whole business from my home office which I really didn't like because I it felt very isolated so now I, since about two years ago now I've had an office a co-working space where you know you interact with people and I, I actually leave home to go to work to the office and you can chat with people you know when you're on coffee breaks I think it just kind of livens things up and it, it really works well for me I'm sure that again doesn't work for everyone um, but I like it I couldn't imagine doing anything else which technologies do you use when on an assignment I guess you mean outside the, the interpreting equipment, right? Yeah. Obviously, that's also technology. So I think on the on the different assignments, I obviously use my Surface. So it's I just bought that this year. Before that, I actually had an Android tablet that I used. Um, 
I like the Surface because it's very light, and as I've mentioned, you can use it as a as a Windows computer, as a Windows laptop, but you can also use it as a as a as a tablet, and it has a dedicated stylus. So you can also take notes with it. Um, I have yet to use it for a full consecutive assignment, but I've dabbled with it, and I've kind of practiced some speeches at home to see how it goes and how it feels. And I think I'm I'm now ready to try it for my next interpreting assignment if the client allows it because you never know if they might be a little fickle with that and of course i have my phone um i either use that to sometimes look up words when the when there's no wi-fi hotspot for the computer or to actually produce a hotspot and i think the biggest technology i rely on on these different jobs is the internet though so just a very general statement the internet <laughs> <laughs> as a freelancer on the private market do you find that you are using booths or bidules? I mostly use booths. This is true. Let me say, I'm going to give you another percentage. I think <laughs> it's about 75% booths and then 25% bidules, which I know that a lot of colleagues have real issues with them just because of um, I just had another job this past Monday with a bidule and I think it always depends on the job. There are jobs that I really like doing with, with the tour guide system because for this job last Monday, we were sitting in a very, very small boardroom and it was kind of like a workshop, so it was very interactive anyways. And it's just a very familiar atmosphere. And in those kinds of instances, I really like it. What I don't like is when the clients either can't or don't want to afford a booth and then they use the bidule as a replacement booth for a situation where a booth would really be much better then it's a little bit of a of a hassle but i use both pre pre preferably and predominantly booths though have you ever interpreted remotely yes i have how did it go um <laughs> sometimes well sometimes not so well i mean i think you can i, I should probably break that down a bit in in the different scenarios um very common for me in the freelance market is that you're remote in the sense that you are still in the same building, but you're just sitting in a different room. You have a couple of screens. You will get a live video feed with, with I don't know, two or most mostly two screens in front of you, one showing the presentation and then one showing the speaker. And you're just sitting there either in a booth or, you know, at a desk and you have the professional conference interpreting uh, equipment set up in front of you. So that usually goes very well because the technology is, you know, everything is running through cable. You don't really rely on any uh, cell phone signals or internet signals. So that usually goes quite well and I really don't mind it. I've organized a couple of conferences in that way even because of, of spatial restraints. So it just wasn't able to be done any other way. And sometimes it's a little bit of a hassle if you have to do that and you need to explain to the client, we actually need to get a camera and we need to get screens and it's just going to be more expensive. And they're saying, wow, you only need to hear. And then you kind of need to go into that whole discussion that you actually also might need to see a little bit of what's going on. Um, but that usually goes very well. So I don't, I don't mind that. What becomes a little bit more iffy is when there's outside telephone connections involved. So uh, two weeks ago, I was doing a uh, board meeting and one of the board members couldn't make it. So they joined in via, well, they, they called it a conference call the person being in a car and then talking from the car with their cell phone. Okay. So that 
very good. <laughs> but um, that's kind of a mix. So sometimes that happens in these times that people join from their landline or even via Skype. So that's really hit or miss. Sometimes it works well. Sometimes the connections, the various connections, uh, just give up and then you want to give up as well, but you can't. <laughs> The most difficult thing that I think I've done is like complete telephone interpreting, where it's really you're on the telephone and you interpret for other people in the various rooms, so the English room and the German room. That is something you can do it. It would be nice if you didn't have to, but you know, everything works out. What I've never done is really interpret uh, remotely in the sense that I'm sitting on my laptop in my office. Uh, and I'm just doing something online with any remote interpreting tool. And I know there's a, there's a bunch of them that are popping up left and right now, but I've never done that, and I'm not really too keen on that either. So it, it's a mixed bag. Would you actively avoid a type of job like that? You mean the one where I sit on my computer and I do it with an online tool? Yeah. I think I would at this point, yeah. Just because I've done a little bit of research, I've attended a couple of workshops, and there's nothing out there that has convinced in the way that I needed to work and that I wanted to work. And I've said this to a colleague, you know, for me it's really no point if you're really good at interpreting and you're doing a really good job, but then the technology lets you down. And at the end of the day, the client isn't really going to care if the tool doesn't work in the way that you need it to work or if the internet connection was shoddy. At the end of the day, it's kind of you and they just don't want to work with you anymore if it was a really bad job because they couldn't hear or you couldn't hear. So at the moment, I would still avoid these jobs. Yeah, actively avoid them. Do you have many people asking you for those type of jobs, though? Not a single one, no. <laughs> so I don't really have to avoid anything at the moment, but going forward, let's keep an eye on it. Okay. Whose interests do you think this new technology is serving? That's a very loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think at the moment um, it's predominantly serving the interests of the people who provide the technology, which makes sense because obviously if they provide the technology, they money out of it which is fine because obviously if I'm renting out a booth or if the client is getting a booth from somewhere that conference interpreting equipment company also wants to get money so that's just part of the business but I think at the moment it's still the quality that for me is the big differentiator so I think at the moment it's mostly the well in that case it's not even an equipment provider what, what do we call them the remote provider maybe the I think that's provider? Pl maybe platform platform provider yeah. So I think at the moment it's predominantly for them, at least in a conference interpreting setup. There's different setups, for example, in public service interpreting. I know it works quite well if you're doing doctor-patient um, conversations or consults, and it's done in a dialogue interpreting setup, so where you actually take turns because then you can check back, and then even if the internet connection isn't so great, you can just say, sorry, I didn't catch that. And I think in that more, it's not really a more relaxed setup, but it's not the pressure that you need to instantly hear, understand, and process everything. So you can take your time and you can kind of make up for the system's weaknesses by using all these other communicative means that you still have at your disposal at that point. So I think for those things, it really works quite well. 
How viable an option do you believe machine interpreting will ever be? I don't really see it happening, to be quite honest. Maybe I'm being optimistic, maybe I'm being naive, but at the moment, I don't think it goes beyond can you show me the train station or can I get another beer? I think that those are kind of the limits at the moment, and I don't know if that's going to change drastically anytime soon. So I think for, you know, I'm going on vacation, I don't speak the language, I use Google Translate, I say something and then it gives it back in Hindi or whatever. I think that is fine because it's all very basic. If I don't know where the train station is, I just say go straight, go right, go left. That's fine. But as soon as you get into, for example, motivational speaking, which I do a lot, there is so much about the emphasis so much about the particular word choice there is so much about the energy that is being conveyed mm -hmm. that will never be conveyed by a machine it, it just can't even though it might know all the different words and even though it might be very very accurate in the exact translation of that particular term it's just not going to get the meaning because it just doesn't understand what that person communicated might understand what he what he or she says but not what he actually wants to say if that makes sense to you which technologies do you believe have had the biggest impact on the work of conference interpreters? So outside the, the conference interpreting equipment again, right? I always kind of think that's a given, but obviously the, the whole simultaneous equipment, that was a big game changer. But I think that the, the easy answer on that is just the internet. I think the internet has just changed everything. Because I remember when I was studying in Munich, one of our teachers was saying, there's no excuse to, to not be prepared in class. You guys have the internet. It's so easy now. And then she went on and she told us this whole story about her first couple of interpreting assignments. She had to go to the library and she had to get like 20 different dictionaries and, you know, specialist books. And she was sitting there hours and hours slaving, looking up terms. And nowadays you just go on whatever website you prefer and you just type it in and you have it within seconds. And even if you don't have any presentations to work on, you can just, as I mentioned previously, you can just go on the, uh, the company website. You can look that up. You can maybe even check out the speaker at previous events on YouTube. And besides that, I think the internet has just completely changed the way we can get jobs. So, you know, the clients now find us on Twitter or LinkedIn or on Facebook, or they find my website. In a way, I think it also has kind of been a boon and a bane for the industry. I think it's been not the best thing in the world in a way because Price dumping gets easier, but I think that's just the whole issue with globalization in general. But on the on the flip side of that, I think it's professionalized our industry in a way that it wasn't before. Um, just because there is more information available, you can look up, you know, great freelance marketing tricks, and it's just brought us closer together as a, as an interpreting community. And and one thing which I find funny sometimes is later seem to have figured that part out, the whole professionalizing part, a little bit before the interpreter. So I think in that instance, we can actually look at the translation and kind of see what they're doing and try to adapt that into the interpreting space. Do you think that technology is opening up the job market then? Hmm. Do I think the technology is opening up the job market? In a way, yes, I think so. Just because clients can, you know, in... Let's say 25 years ago, if you had a conference and you know that a couple of the speakers or some of the, the audience members didn't speak English and you had no idea where to find an interpreter, you might have found one in the yellow pages, but if there wasn't any, then what do you do? 
then you might have just said, oh, I'm sorry, you're not going to understand speaker XYZ because he or she doesn't speak English. And nowadays you just go on Google and you type in interpreter Munich English and you will hopefully land on my website and call me. But I think in that way it's opened up the job market. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think all the effects of technology are positive? Generally, I'm very tech positive. So I'm very open to new technology and I'm very interested in new technology, whatever it may be. But I think you have to be critical. So you can't just be naive walking around saying, this is new, this is great. You actually have to look at it. And, and for example, if I'm buying a new smartphone or a new laptop, it needs to be well-designed. It needs to be sleek. It needs to, to work without any hiccups. It needs to be reliable. And I think for interpreting, that's the exact same thing. So if I do get a new piece of equipment or software or whatever it may be, it might be the greatest thing in the world, but if I can't rely on it in an interpreting situation, if the technology might let me down, then it's negative. If it works like a charm, then it's positive. So I think, I think it's both positive and negative to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been let down by technology so yet? I mentioned those uh, those remote situations earlier where people join in on their their phones, you know, they're on their mobile phones or they're joining uh, the, the conference via Skype. Those instances, yes, but then again, it wasn't really me being let down. It was just kind of due to the circumstances that the client presented us with. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Not in, not in any major way. You know, sometimes Windows will update itself in a, in a stupid moment and just restart and you're like, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck now in the, in the update loop. But besides that, nothing, nothing major. How do you stay up to date with the latest language technology developments? Of course, I listen to your podcast, first and foremost. <laughs> um, but it's just kind of the internet again. You know, you can chat with different colleagues, uh, I have a fantastic colleague, Alex Drexel, who was featured on your podcast as well. So him and I chat quite frequently about different tablet-related things and have you seen this, have you done that? Um, I read a blog, or sorry, I read some blogs. Alex's blog is among them. And Anja Rutten, for example, an, a Cologne-based interpreter, she has a fantastic blog, so I, I read that. And besides that, yeah, just podcasts some forums, all-round approach. Mm-hmm. I just try to stay on top of things, which I'm not sure if you can actually stay on top of everything because, you know, so much is happening that sometimes you just kind of get drowned in the noise. So you have to filter out what's actually really interesting to you. Have you seen any changes to the interpreting market in recent years? I don't think I've been in the market long enough to see some some general sweeping changes, but I get the feeling having worked in the UK and in Germany, that agencies are pushing more and more into the market, um, which isn't always great. I think that's a general trend that I can see that they're getting an increasing footprint in, in that. Yeah, I think that that would be one of the trends. Do you, Are there any differences between the UK market and the German market? Yeah, they're completely different. Um, the UK market is completely agency dominated. So when I was there, if you ever had a direct client, that was kind of the holy grail and you talked to everyone about it, but you made sure not to mention the name because <laughs> it's your, it's one of your five direct clients that you have. And um, 
In Germany, it's actually the flip side. So you might get a good agency offer every once in a blue moon. But besides that, it's very, very direct client oriented or, or not direct client, but direct client and colleague referral oriented. Do you think that Brexit will have any kind of impact on your work? <laughs> Brexit. Or maybe even Donald Trump. Sure. Maybe, Why yeah, not? of course, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> maybe picking English wasn't your best choice. I know. <laughs> you know, in hindsight, who knows? Um, I don't think it's going to have any major implications on my work because you still have Ireland in the European Union. So English is still going to remain part of the European Union and Scotland, of course, whatever happens there, we'll see. But I just think that goes back to your question about English being the lingua franca. I think it's just been so ingrained in the international business world that English is the language to be spoken that I think that part is going to stay the same. It might be interesting to see what happens with the different European works councils, because obviously if England or decides to leave the European Union, I wonder if they're going to be part of the European works council mm -hmm. anymore. For those of you who are interested, you can follow Alexander on Twitter. He is at ACG Interpret. And don't forget to check out the Troublesome Types podcast. There is a link in the information below. And you can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Linguali. Thanks for listening.